Hey, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 311. Thank you so much for joining us for this celebration of the very best genre in the world. If you'd like to watch the video version of what we do, you can now do that via Bloody Disgusting TV that's available on Roku, Sling, Vizio, Smartcast, and more. You can see our smiling faces, and more importantly, those of our incredibly talented guests. Check out the on-screen programming guide for showtimes and schedule. This time around, those guests are... Fallout Boys Joe Troman, comedian, actor, and writer Brian Pesane, and acclaimed comic book artist Scott Koblish. At time of release, their brand new horror comic series, The Axe, just debuted in Heavy Metal Magazine. Chapter 1 appeared in last week's issue 315. The next part is out in 316 on sale April 27th until it completes its sixth chapter run. It is described as Army of Darkness meets the Goonies, which is right on the mark. It is an absolute riot. We talk all sorts of awesome stuff from how they all got into horror films, their recent faves, collecting comic books, the crossroads of horror and metal, and so much more. Rock out to episode 311 with Joe Troman, Brian Fasane, and Scott Koblish now playing. She wants to dance like Uma Thurman, bury me till I confess. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. All right, joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio are three awe-inspiring creative geniuses and horror fanatics. He's a songwriter, composer, singer, and record producer who, since 2001, is lead guitarist for an iconic band that continues to have tremendous influence on music and culture. They've achieved multi-platinum success, dozens of awards, including People's Choice, MTV, Alternative Press, and the AMAs, and have consistently created the most memorable billboard hits in decades. As an integral part of this, his creativity and fresh approach really defined an entire generation and community. He went on to found the supergroup The Damn Things with Scott Ian, co-created a hilarious animated series Mondo Trasho 3042, and in 2021 launched an amazing podcast focused on mental health called I Hate Myself. Also here with us, he's an amazing comedian, actor, musician, and Emmy-nominated writer. His entire body of work is a wonderful testament to really living your passion, and it's so damn inspiring, taking horror, metal, and comic books, adding a dose of comedy, and creating a perfect and unique blend all onto his own. His trajectory has put him on the greatest TV shows ever made, including Friends, Seinfeld, Mr. Show, Just Shoot Me, and The Big Bang Theory. That work, along with a tremendous stand-up career and finding himself inside iconography like The Simpsons, Scooby-Doo, the films of Rob Zombie, the music of Anthrax, Disney, the Star Wars and Marvel universes respectively, 
integrated him into the fabric of pop culture, especially when it comes to all the things that bring us here together today. Also, a world-famous comic book artist legend who's worked with Marvel, DC, worked on the likes of Deadpool, making comic book history. The three of them have embarked on a journey to bring you a new horror comic series called The Axe. The first chapter of the six-part story debuts March 23rd in issue 315 of the legendary Heavy Metal magazine. It's described as Army of Darkness meets the Goonies. We are honored to welcome Brian Pusain, Fall Out Boys, Joe Troman, and Scott Koblish. Yeah! Wow. Uh, I'm worn sweatpants for that introduction. <laughs> Those are some strong intros. <laughs> Brian, I'm going to give you that intro when I come over on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I like to you? remind people of some of those things I've done. I, I, I forget. I forget. Oh man! Thank you for that. Hey I like guys, I'm really happy. I've, my ego has been stroked. Thank you guys <laughs> for hanging out with us. And we've read the chapter, first chapter of the Axe, and uh, awesome. we're hooked. And congratulations yeah. on oh, its thank birth. You. Thank you so much. So thank you. Really want to start at the very, very beginning. Want to hear from each one of you how you got into the horror genre, how it's been integrated into both your lives. And we'll start with a simple question. What is the earliest and most impactful memory off the top of your head right now of experiencing the horror genre? We can start with you, Joe. My mother showed me the omen when I was seven. Shit. Wow. That's heavy. (laughs) Seven. She wasn't wasn't a a sound mind herself, but... Yeah, yeah, I started watching horror movies when I was a, a way too young to watch horror movies. I saw, I learned what suicide was at seven. Like, I thought, you know, <laughs> I mean, I assume she didn't really kill herself in the movie, but, you know, she would do anything for him. Yeah, so I started there. And then, yeah, instead of it scaring me off of horror, it just kept me hooked. She continued to show me horror movies. We continued to watch the a and e channel when it was just biographies and we'd see a lot of serial killer biographies together we would watch early law and order together so horror and true crime were like imbued into my dna very early on if there were other factors in my life that had gone poorly i would have ended up a serial killer myself that i had a nurture another parent that was nurturing and i just like horror i just like it i love it actually what is it about it that you love i mean there's the escapism i like to be scared i think like People think horror is the monsters, but it's all the tension before all, all, all the sitting on the edge of your seat and all the feeling horrible. I, I love I, I like to feel terrible after a movie. I think it's probably because I'm a very depressed person. So anything that wraps me in like a very warm blanket of, of bad feelings just feels uh, at home to me. So, I mean, like I like watching a movie like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and feeling dirty afterwards, which that might be a good segue into Brian. We'll go to Brian. We'll go to Brian, man. How about you? I grew up in an amazing time in the seventies uh, and in Northern California where uh, we actually had a horror TV show. We had uh, creature features that had scary movies every weekend and would run for several hours and went from hammer horror to, you know, Godzilla movies and that kind of stuff. But then, uh, it was night of the living dead was the first one where I was like, Oh shit. I don't think I was supposed to see this. And I was like 10 and it was, it scared the crap out of me. And uh, yeah, it made me feel all these things I hadn't felt before. And, and uh, you know, uh, that was the first one where I was like, Oh, I don't think I was supposed to see that. Plus my mom wasn't a horror fan, but she, 
just was like into whatever pop culture threw at her. So I saw, you know, stuff through her. And then she just had like the exorcist book laying around because it was insanely popular in 75. So I'm nine years old and I read that book, like, you know, and then I got into Stephen King and just everything, everything I could find, I could read, I could watch, you know, um, anything I could find that was scarier than the last thing I found. That's what I was into. It was the same way, you know, with heavy metal, it just, I couldn't stop once I got into it. It was like, I, I need the heaviest, the scariest, whatever else what's next. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Can you put a finger on what it was about that feeling of <laughs> walking away from a horror film that you kept wanting to chase? I don't know. I think the things I like are so connected to the same time. Like there must've been something when I was nine years old, almost everything I liked when I was nine years old, I still like. So it's, it's kiss, it's horror movies and comic books. And, and I just, I like the feeling that all three of those things gave me, you know, or kiss plus kiss wound up being comic books and horror come to, you know, in a band form. And that was the thing that really hooked me in. But I, um, I was just a weird kid and I, I never half asked anything. I still haven't my whole life. Like I don't just sort of get into something. I don't see a movie and go, that was okay. Or if I do, that's it. But, but if I like something, I'm obsessed with it. You know, I've always been yeah. that guy becomes your lifestyle more so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah I totally. So <laughs> I totally assume you collect kiss stuff. Oh yeah. What is your <laughs> most prized kiss possession that you have? Uh, probably the lunchbox. I found I, it's not insanely expensive, but I, it's just super. I had one. I had that kiss lunchbox and that, you know, so iconic. And I ha I'm looking at one right now. So, you know, I found it again, but uh, nothing too crazy. But I just collect everything. Like if you could see the, the wall behind me, it, Joe can tell you it's. Yeah, if you could reposition your uh, when you do interviews on the nerd wall, he's got a he's got a hardcore nerd wall. It made me rebuild mine. Oh I was like, I gotta, man, oh. I want a tour of everybody's yeah. nerd walls. We love nerd <laughs> yeah, walls. we love nerd walls. Yeah, oh, it, the, there it is. Yeah, he's there got you. Go there, we go. Wow, he's got, like, he's got like cool toys and boxes behind other cool toys and boxes behind some open ones. You know, he's got. And then all my comics are built into that wall too. It's like yeah. tons of silver age and, and uh, bronze and yeah. Is it all confined to that one space or is it, has it bled yeah, all over my the house? My wife has always been like, this is your room. Keep your shit in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you got the space, man. That's good. <laughs> I also have a library that's full of my shit too, but yeah, this is my, my nerd cave. Oh, I love it, man. And Scott, how about you, man? Tell us about your first experience with horror, man. Well, uh, my first experience with horror was really my stepbrother moved in and then just started watching horror movies in our house, like constantly. So it was really just like an experience of having having a stepbrother and then having like everything that he loved just sort of dumped into my world. Like like um Exorcist and just everything that was coming out in the seventies. There was like a Betamax or a VCR that like everybody that he just used constantly. I don't even know where he got these things because he was my age too. So we were both like eleven. And I don't know where he was he was finding like I spit on your grave. But you know, like who would give that to an eleven year old? But like, you know, 
<laughs> I would come back and I'd be like, all right, I guess we're watching this now, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and I have a deep respect for horror and all the iconography because honestly, like, uh, just as I sat down and worked on this, like I was, you just find things that like disturb people greatly. And then you just kind of lean into it, you know, like, um, it's just fun to do. So like that kind of stuff was always fun. And my, my wife is the one that actually has the nerd cave. Like I don't have a nerd cave. It's hers. Oh shit. <laughs> is she, now what's she into? Is she a nerd for horror stuff or no? It's a completely different thing. It's uh, it's completely different. She works over at DC Comics, so like, it's just a ton of like really fun like uh, things on the wall from a ton of different artists. So it's really funny because I didn't have a lot of statues. She's got a ton of statues. I didn't have any of this stuff whatsoever. Like anything I would draw, it would just go in the flat, flat file, and I never put it on the walls or anything like that. But she's got a ton of great stuff. So it's it's given me like a newfound respect for all of. Uh, all the things that are out there, statues and paintings and drawings. It's incredible, man, the amount of stuff that's coming out now. It's insane. I'm curious as to just you coming up as an artist, was there any like particular gateway horror arts or property that drew you in? Honestly, it was heavy metal. To me, like that was the only place I could kind of get it. You could get it from like Fangoria or like a couple magazines. But not that, not a lot of that stuff was kind of available to me. But heavy metal, when I ran across it, blew my mind. Like uh, the great thing about that stuff was, it was just like you could tell that the artists felt free to do whatever it is they they wanted and to to sort of pursue like visually in things that they really like, uh, like turn them on like mentally or. And uh, I, for me, also like Alien, like the that movie, all that Geiger stuff or Geiger, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but like that stuff was just blew like the doors off of anything that I was always thinking about as far as horror. It was just fascinating to watch, like sort of this combination of like sexual like themes with like sort of like bugs and uh, uh, you know lizards and things like that. That kind of stuff was really fascinating to see everyone kind of like uh, jump into a lot of horror has a lot of that. Like there'll be teeth in inappropriate places. <laughs> For everyone. Is there any film that has been a recent discovery that's impacted and stuck with you? Yes. It's a movie that no one has watched. It's called anything for Jackson. We actually hey, did see that. Yeah, we, we did. did see that. Yeah. It has some of the most, per- it's first off. It's a great movie. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, it's well cast. Um, it's well written. It's well shot. But also, it has some of the most disturbing imagery. It's nothing ever gives me nightmares anymore. And that movie gave me a nightmare. Yeah, that was one for me too. Because uh, Joe turned me on to it, and then it was also like kept checking in, going, "Hey, dude, have you watched that yet?" And I hadn't watched it, and I wasn't blowing him off, but I just I was like, "Yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it." And then when I did, I was like immediately like, oh, dude. Yeah, it was it was sick. I knew you're going to love it. Uh, I also liked uh, Jacob's wife last year. Uh, what was the one I can never remember the name of on uh, Netflix that was uh, uh, that we both watched? It was from like a couple years back, Joe. Uh, was it called Terrorized? I think it was Costa Rican or uh, it was that little remember. Um, I can't remember. Everybody are terrified, maybe. Oh, oh, it's on Shudder. Shudder. It's on Shudder. Terrified's cool. 
I also just watched, uh, love that movie. I lo- I love just the way it w- uh, it unfolded and, and like you get hints at shit and you're like, oh, sh- oh, no, <laughs> you know, just these little moments and that aren't jump scares because that shit, you know, whatever. Yeah, never been my favorite. Yeah, but that movie's got like some like, terrifying imagery as well. We also you and I both talked about. No, oh, was it no exit? Is that what just what it was? It came on. Yeah, that thing was lean. And I loved it. I know it I like it, too. It was super and the, lean and brutal. And the wrong turn uh, remake last it was year. So good. That was I good. love that movie. Really I feel good. like no one's talking about how great that was. Matthew Modine and the way they flipped it. I know it got buried. It fucking man. great. Yeah. Such I a great movie. I fucking love that movie. Amen to that. Amen to the Scott, you got any? No, but I'm writing all these down. You got to write them all down, dude. <laughs> now we got, we're so lucky to have shit like Shudder and everything in our lives now. And that's, yeah. I, I, I want to ask you guys all that. What are you guys thinking of? Like, like it's an insane time to be a horror fan just in general with things like, you know, your, the, the comic series, The Axe coming out. But there seems to be more movies, more events, more merchandise than ever before in the history of the fandom of horror. Just this week, for instance, 11 new horror films have been released, uh, hitting theaters and shutter and streaming and everything. What do you guys make of this horror renaissance that we're, we're in right now? What do you think it's attributed to? I don't know. I mean, I guess there's like with, with first off with like with the death, I mean, it's not death, but it's dying. The death of like cable <laughs> and the advent of streamers. There's just a space for horror. Now. I mean, there literally is a streaming service for horror that never yeah. existed. Um, so there's that. I don't know if, um, cause I mentioned like escapism and I know like we've been living through horrible times, but maybe like, uh, Horrors, horrors always been a really, really good at like hitting on like current topics about hitting it on the nose. Any that hit it on the nose too hard are terrible horror movies. So um, I think people enjoy skirting around some of the subjects while still like being able to fully escape. And horror is so good at it. But I don't know. I, I, it's a lot of these movies are like actually making money. And at the end of the day, Unfortunately for us fans of like art, uh, it's you know, it's a business and it's all about making money. And but it's good that they're making money. That means there's going to be more horror movies, right? I mean, it's good that like that last Halloween movie, which is fine, uh, you know, did really well. It's it's yeah. good that it did well because it means that there, there's more horror out there. You know, like studios are going to spend more money on making uh, horror movies, which is great. They see the value more respect for it now too, uh, especially than when, you know, than when I grew up, you know, it was, we have all the the lowest of the low when I was a kid, you know, it was just the shittiest genre you could dabble in. And now there's movies like Midsommar that get everybody talking, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, the elevated stuff. And, and then the, you know, I love where mainstream is right now too. I mean, I couldn't be happier to have a, a scream movie and a, and a Halloween movie out at the same time. They're not neither one of them. They're awesome. But as a horror fan, I love just having the content more and more of that. I, love this. I actually like it. I mean, I know you like I like the new scream. I like the new scream. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you guys watch Ready or Not? Yes, yeah. I love Ready or Not. So yeah. good. Yeah. Oh. Radio Silence guys are awesome, man. They're, they're so great. Yeah, yeah, they're good dudes, too. Yeah, guys. super yeah. nice. And we talked about a little bit about just the, I mean, you mentioned Kiss, obviously, the amalgamation of metal and horror. And for me, I mean, Brian, as a massive Mr. Bungle fan myself, you getting to take part in the Night They Came Home DVD. I mean, <laughs> that self-titled album tour for me 
was a huge moment as far as a perfect example of truly terrifying an audience in a non-campy way and seeing the band when they wore those mechanic suits and the masks before obviously Slipknot and all these bands, they were the first ones to really come out and do it. And it was scary as fuck. There was nothing cheesy about it. What was your first experience to, to Mr. Bungalike? Uh, well, growing up in California, it, they were a big band up there. So, um, he grew up not f- far from me. He grew up, a little, I think, uh, Mike, uh, Patton grew up a little north of where I grew up, but, uh, yeah, they were a huge band there. And I already liked faith no more. And I liked when he took, I love the Chuck Mosley version too, but I love when he took over. It was just, I was a metal kid, but I also liked these other influences. I love the, the, funk bass and you know and then also the djing and that kind of shit i was a a, you know that all appealed to me but then him being a horror fan and yeah man that was a a good time i i got in the ground level of bungle and i love uh the other stuff he's done you know like uh phantomas i love them doing that um that horror all the scores and stuff that, that, that whole score record yeah director's cut is that what it's called yeah 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 it's amazing that stuff is sick i love when anybody combines my you know the things that i'm into you know like like anthrax is a huge band for me because they were reading stephen king at the same time as i was and they also had a sense of humor and they were you know referencing rodney dangerfield movies and then you know doing whole songs based on stephen king stories and as a teenager, I was like, holy shit, like these guys get me, you know, because I was already way into King as a teenager because I started so young. I started when Carrie came out. I read Carrie and then just every every King book I had to have. So and how amazing you get to work alongside all these fucking people that you grew up. It's loving insane. So much, well, no, it's I know insane. I've had a crazy life where the people I've met and, and it's not lost on me when I am meeting them, you know, when I met Slayer and Anthrax, I met both bands at the same time. I was oh, backstage God. meeting Anthrax. I'm, I'm my head spinning my legs. I had to remind my knees not to lock up so I wouldn't fucking pass out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, I'm, oh shit! Like I'm, I'm talking to Scott, and then I turn around and Carrie King's right there, and I'm just like, ah, like, dude, that's incredible. Yeah, that's these incredible. guys respect me because of my dumb comedy shit, you know. And so, but for me, I was like, you guys are the heroes, you know. <laughs> that's what I find really interesting too is like all these metal dudes all fucking love comedy. Like Rob Zombie's like a massive fan of stand-up comic comedy right Dude, i got into his movie because he had seen me on uh, everybody loves raymond and i was like i can't picture him in monster boots like watching <laughs> a ray romano sitcom and going Ha-ha. right right <laughs> <laughs> love it and dude fallout boy have had a pretty prevalent set uh, like a thread of the horror genre throughout and doing you know the young blood chronicle videos or sampling the monsters theme we saw a movie patrick scored recently black friday right yeah. Devin Sawa and Bruce Campbell and all that. I, I, I want to see it. It's How was so it? great. Yeah, it was I, awesome. only thought, I saw Patrick like scoring it on tour. Yeah. So he played, he played me. Uh, he did like a sort of Dean Martin-y sort of song. And he's like, does this sound too much like me? And I'm like, nah, if you don't know you, yeah, it should be fine. Dude, um, not like out yet. I was going to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, really, really good. That. It's really good. So is there, what is the relationship of fallout boy and horror? 
Is it something that you guys all have in common? Is it an influence you're bringing in? How does that work? I think like everybody likes kind of the tentpole stuff like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Child's Play, Halloween, uh, for the most part, at least like Pete is Pete and Andy are like the oldest guys in the band. They're like in their, in, in their mid forties while I'm, I'm in my late thirties. And uh, so they kind of grew up a little more with some of the eighties horror slasher stuff that was coming out. So that was kind of more their, you know, um, their history, I guess, at the end of the day. Um, Andy and I are probably the biggest horror buffs in the band, but uh, yeah, we all enjoy it. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, like it's not a huge influence, but it's an influence as if you know, Fall Out Boy pop culture in general is an influence in the band. We're, we're pulling things from every facet, whether it be horror, whether it be science fiction, whether it be Wes Anderson movies, you know, like we're, we're pulling from everywhere. So <laughs> nothing is safe from being stolen from <laughs> and then uh, scott is uh is your work influenced by music and metal in any way are you when you were uh, basically doing the groundwork for the acts is there soundtracks and music that you're listening to while doing the work and does it inspire it in any way uh yeah a little bit like uh, uh i mean i listen to everything i possibly can from like jazz to metal to classical music to anything that kind of like i can just have uh, so I can concentrate like it's less like that I'll pick up things and put it in the work it's more like I need some place for me to be just sort of comfortable and exist and then like I can like go anywhere I want with the artwork so um, but absolutely I think I think out of all the things that horror does is it does have that immediacy of uh, like a point of view and like an immediacy of like pulling into the, the actual culture that's going on at the time. Like, I can't wait to see this kind of stuff that's going to come out from like everyone being locked in a pandemic for like the past two years, as far as horror goes, you know, like there was a movie I got to see that was some sort of movie from, and it was done a little bit pandemic, just this couple who like, they have to raise this one child and they're like trapped in this house like for all eternity. And it was, at the end of it, it was like two hours of just that where they were just kind of like in this like nebulous space with like nothing going on around them. And just the terror of them getting older and not knowing what to do and hating each other. Cause they're in like real, like confined, like close quarters. And I was like, that one stuck with me for weeks. Like I just couldn't get over that one. <laughs> so like, I can't wait to see like, you know, what people do with like, you know, the things that we've all been going through, that's the kind of stuff that horror really like gives you an access to. It's like the emotional way that you can process all the things that everybody goes through in the culture. And uh, I don't know, I'm super eager to like uh, see what everyone does with that. You know, I read an so. article that like horror fans were more equipped to deal with the pandemic than the average non-horror right. consumer. <laughs> they, because they've experienced things like it before. <laughs> we were ready. Virtually. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. It's like roller coasters and like car crashes. 
if you've been in a lot of roller coasters, I guess you'll do better in a car crash. Right. <laughs> right. right. No, brace yourself, I guess. So we'll start. We'll talk, start talking about the axe here and uh, the kind of the, the the seed of the idea. So it, it goes back, as I understand, and I, I listened to the original podcast that appeared in uh, Wonderwork back in 2020, the axe origins that. Brian narrated and uh, just talk about you know, building the world of Sheol and coming up with the whole concept of the axe. It kind of came out of order because I just had this idea that was about these kids that steal this kind of like Necronomicon-y monster guitar and like they're like, this is cool. And then it opens up this portal into like a hell planet and they get taken through and they have to run for their lives uh, in a hell planet full of horrible, disgusting monsters and creatures. And I've been kind of like, I uh, got kind of like it tricked into working in, in television and then I ended up uh, liking it. So I was going around like pitching different ideas and this was one that nobody wanted. And then I pitched it to Heavy Metal as a comic and they're like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, oh shit, and I got to build all this stuff around it. So it started with building what is what, what will be eventually the six books that come out we're, we're done writing brian and i actually finished writing the script for the what is the last issue though it could be ongoing but it also could stop right then and there we just finished that yesterday but uh so it started with bringing it to i wanted to work on it with brian because brian and i had been working on a bunch of stuff together we have a been developing some television together and working on some other things and so i was like brian you're gonna either love this idea or fucking hate it and he's like no i like it and so <laughs> We put that together and then Heavy Metal came to me and uh, they were like, hey, do you want to do one of these wonder works? And I listened to a bunch of them. They all seem kind of like these grand sort of um, backstories. Eventually, what, what I know some of them did get turned into comics. So I had to come up with a backstory for Sheol, which basically I, I, my, my thought was like, oh, it could be cool if like, and this is obviously where the fantasy comes in. And, you know, I know heavy metal often has like one foot kind of in science fiction. This is where it gets incredibly fiction, <laughs> incredibly away from science. If there was like kind of an, an, an alternate universe where when there was when we had our Big Bang, which is obviously from, uh, you know, a lot of light matter. If there was like a, if there was po- if it was possible of a dark matter Big Bang and created a completely dark planet and and that is somehow where we pulled all of our ideas from horror from we stole them all from that planet when some of those creatures were able to kind of get into uh get come onto earth through like you know different portals and such so that is sort of where the backstory came from and i was able to build an idea from there that then brian and i were able to connect back to uh the comics if that makes sense the boo crew will be right back for everything known there is something unknown For every blessing, there is a curse. For everything holy, there is something unholy. For every evil, there is an omen. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. You have been warned. The creative uh, partnership with you and Brian, how how does that play itself out? What's the mechanics of of how that works when you write back and forth? Uh, we get in a room together. We try to always write together. 
And Brian, you can jump in whenever you want me to show We up. were the only people each other saw during COVID at the beginning. Like I would be with my family and him and that was it. Like we, and we kept, you know, we kept safe, but like we were uh, writing that whole time. We had this show that's still in development, but uh, when we're not doing that, we were doing anything, you know, these other ideas. And this was, this was the one that, uh, well, we've been working on the longest, I think. For sure. And it's the only one we've completed, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. Well, we have things backed up behind this that are. You know. Yeah. We have other things backed up. And like Brian said, we have this, this, this ongoing development uh, in, uh, at a network, but yeah, I mean, basically I came in with like a very thin outline um, and I want to keep it thin. So Brian could actually be a part of building out the story with me. And um, we just broke up the outline into, okay, this seems like it could be a first issue. This seems like a second, third, fourth, fifth. Originally, it was only five. We ended up breaking out into six recently because we just had written more uh, than we realized. But we would then sit there with each section and just kind of flesh out what would happen and kind of discover more about the characters and discover more about the story along the way, rather than like, if we were developing something for television, we would sit there and work heavily on the characters first. This was much more story driven. Uh, and then and we jokes would, came too. Jo- we had jokes in the outline. I'm, I always do that when I'm outlining yeah. things I'm looking for, like running bits and, you know, that kind of. Yeah, thing. we were putting we were finding running jokes to put in there. And uh, yeah, we would find the characters and their voices more. We just. The good news is because like heavy metal really like they liked the story so much and they they were honestly did so much and, and, and they were professional about it, but they, they it was little oversight. So they allowed us to to really explore. And I think it can be dangerous when you're um, doing something that's story driven and you don't put enough emphasis into the characters because they're really thin. But we were allowed to and we, we ended up doing character exploration as we were doing story exploration. So we'd have the story mapped out and then we'd start writing the characters for the first issue and be like, David needs to be more like this. Or like, you know, Ruthie needs to be more like that and start defining them more as we were really writing their dialogue. And that really helped us find them more and more. And then it's, it's sort of like writing a spec script and giving like an opportunity to, to rewrite and rewrite until you finally find everybody. And that's sort of what we got to do. And then by the time we had written issue one, we kind of just knew what the book was from there. And it was pretty easy. And plus we had outlined the fucking hell out of it. I think by the time Scott received something from us, it was like 40 pages. Holy shit. Wow. (laughs) We both do that on our own. And I think together we do it even more like our outlines. I've always really over outlined things because it helps in the writing process. It it makes the writing process a lot easier if you have, so many things that you you don't have to make decisions as you're going because you've already you know worked out the best hopefully yeah and i think like worked out the kinks yes exactly like i I, i'm underselling how much work we did like we did a lot of work you know i make it i I said i came in with a thin outline it was probably a 10 page outline that i came in with so it's not like entirely thin but for us that's like crap like brian and i we do like to overdo it individually and together and to what brian said then you don't really have any issues and when you run into a problem when you have that much outline it's very easy to fix it because okay crap we need this character to reference this thing here okay let's just go back to this page give them a line and a little scene very easy because for the most part you've done like so much groundwork 
everything is really, it's basically your structural work is, is so sound at that point. Oh, that's incredible. So talk about finding Scott and making him the guy for the job. Uh, well, Scott, I, I, I could only work with Scott and be happy. Uh, he, we've done a, a bunch of stuff together already. Uh, we had just done. What's the most recent thing we did that, that short anthrax Deadpool thing. thing. We did the short Deadpool thing, but then we also did the anthrax story. Yeah. Uh, and I think Joe, was that it? Was I, did I show you what he had done for, or like, yeah, you showed me just the pages before they were pages I was getting for anthrax. among like, the living. Holy, right. I was yeah. like, Holy shit. I mean, I'd he seen nailed the among the living. The thing I did for the anthrax book was basically me putting myself into, uh, you know, creep show and, and, uh, and literally the stand taking the lyrics from uh, among the living, which is about the stand and, and then uh, fleshing that out. And he had done so well nailing me in the eighties. Like I said, you know, draw this dorky stringy haired teenager that's into anthrax. And he drew me and, and I already knew the guy was a, a genius just from the Deadpool stuff that we've done together. So but then doing this, this book, it's just, it's so easy to work with him. He's, uh, yes, <laughs> he gets it right away. Like, yes. you know, and then goes, Oh, you mean this? And you're like, yeah, fuck, that's better than what I'm, <laughs> that's so great. Did that's you better get- than what I had in my head, you know? Yeah, I don't want to speak for Scott, but I've been like sitting with this idea for so many years and I already kind of knew what I wanted it to look like. And then Scott did it, but like way better than I could have ever imagined. Oh, that's all very kind. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I uh, I just, uh, for some reason, I know exactly what the two of you are, like, saying. Like, you yes. know what I mean? Like, And uh, the outline yeah, after, uh, and all the work that you did uh, before I ever showed up, like, uh, really helps out a lot, too. And then I think that we do have the same general touchstones as far as, like, yes. the things yes, that we like. Yeah, same sensibilities. And uh, if, even if I'm not there, like, I know exactly where you want to be. So, like, uh, like I'll find it. You know what I mean? Like, there was some stuff uh, just in the process that I was like, you know, I would, I would read a, a description of a character and I would go like, oh, like, yeah, I think they mean this. But maybe if I tweak it a little bit this way, like, you know, maybe it'll be something even more terrifying or like a little more like sexually terrifying, yes. you know, yes. like, it definitely jumped into that. Cause the, this book, like being over at heavy metal really helps out with that aspect. Uh, Cause I, I, I'm often like when I'm working for the major publishers, like there's a line that I know that they can't cross and, and sometimes I'll come up to it, you know, and I know that they, they can't cross it or, maybe I'll find out that they can't cross it, you know, at some point, but like with this book, like I really, even the publisher was like, go like whatever you think is like too much, keep going. And, uh, yeah. so that helped me like help me get the confidence and tackling frankly material that I had never really uh, tackled outside of my own house. You know, Us so. too. I mean, I feel like there's dialogue and jokes that we would not, I wouldn't even yeah. attempt at Marvel. There's stuff that I, oh, like, so if, much Joe, if Joe had pitched, I'd go, no, no, not, not where we are, buddy. But <laughs> heavy metal, you felt like, cause I grew up with it too. And you know, the movie I'm looking, I have a VHS copy of the, the heavy metal movie uh, still from the eighties. And um, it's such a huge influence. So to be there too and go, 
when you're there, you want to push that. You want to do the most heavy metal version of heavy metal that you could possibly do. You know, I got to write for Mad Magazine a couple of years back and it was like, I've got a Mad Magazine the shit out of this. You know what I mean? I've got to do what I loved about this thing. You know, anytime I'm allowed to do just like at Marvel of, you know, when I was at Marvel, uh, we had every character that I could think of or Jerry could think of come in and be with Deadpool because it was like, why not? You have this sandbox, like make the most of it, you know? Yeah. Was was heavy metal always like? Because I remember the comic was the comic book code authority or whatever. Was heavy metal not had to fall within Who the confines knows, of that? There was stuff that I couldn't believe I was seeing as a kid. Like I remember my friend's dad having a stack of them and going, "Oh my god!" Like all the boobies <laughs> and all the violence. I don't know if they ever had to deal with the code. I mean, again, you know, back to working on this book, uh, Morgan, the editor, just let us go wild. He really like. He just wants, all he ever wants to do is just see everything. But he sees it all and he goes, I'm glad it's there. Keep going. Even just that, like, we were just emailing because, you know, like I said, we, we got to the end of it. And he was like, this is the most fun I've ever had working on a book. I didn't have to be, I really didn't have to, like, I didn't have to stay on top of you guys. I didn't have to coach you guys. I didn't have to, like, make you rewrite anything. I mean, yeah. great. It was, it was really free. Yeah. And it's got a whole shit ton of gore and all the good stuff that we want to see. And I wanted to ask gore Scott. And gore and just testicles. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask Scott about creating the characters of S.H.I.E.L.D. that we see right at the end of chapter one. Spoiler alert. Um, were you given guidance from uh, Joe and Brian on exactly what they were supposed to look like? Or did you have a lot of freedom as far as coming up with their their look? Well, it's, it's both really. Like I had a lot of freedom to do whatever I kind of felt would be necessary, but the guidance along the lines of like, they would say like, this character does this and this character looks uh, generally like this, or this character has this many arms. And it's the, it, the part of the, the, the artistic like solving problems becomes the place where I wind up putting myself into it. Like, like I'll hear something like this person has four arms and two legs and I'll go, what does that look like? You know? And then you try and like, you try and figure it out, you know, like, uh, like I think, uh, like little horns, I think I'd put on his head, like without, you know, and then certainly like, uh, because it's in a book that has sexual content in it. I was just like, well, this is great. I can explore stuff that I never would have thought to explore before. And they're right. There's a lot of testicles in this book. (laughs) But I kind of felt like that's something that I didn't see a lot of. That's why I I loved it. Like, when do you see that many testicles? They're like all over the place. Yeah, it was like, you know, you just see a lot of boobies in books like this, but I was like, you never see that many testicles. Yeah, so we gotta like, bring the balls back. Yeah, the world needs more testicles <laughs> for sure. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, oh my goodness. I love it. Putting the balls back in horror, you guys. Not to say we're putting a lot of boobs in here, but there's balls in there too. So. No, there's everything. There's genitalia all abound. Uh, genitals and, and nudity, yeah, it's, it's gratuitous. But it's also, it's also, but I mean, you did blend it into the characters. I mean, like, I think I didn't notice one of the monsters had balls on his chin. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, oh, those are testicles. Like, I, I, I gotta get more than balls. Did you draw different versions of each character and be like, okay, pick this one. Which one do you like better? Or did you just do one? 
for each character. I did a whole bunch of stuff over here, like before I ever sent it over. I kind of like to, to sort of get it to the place where I feel comfortable with it and then send it out to everybody and say like, do you feel comfortable with this? Cause then we can adjust things, you know, as it goes along. But, uh, and certainly there was, uh, even little things like, uh, the, the main villain villainess, like, uh, she had like one, she had like one snake, uh, on the end of her. And I was like, I, I wanted to kind of, uh, give the, give the, the chance of drawing like hips and stuff like that. So I made it two two snakes, you know, like little things like that. I would sort of solve before I ever presented it to everybody, but, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, the read is very cinematic, I would say, too. It's really effective. Uh, there's jump cuts almost uh, and uh, that nasty sense of humor that leads it along the way. There's a cool transition of Fitz Guitar Shop, for instance, that I love. That's one of them. How do you, in a sense, direct the mechanics of how the story is presented? Do you give filmic references to Scott? How do you build that world onto a page of art? It's, I feel like it's a, it's, it's a combo between how we write and then what Scott does naturally. Cause I think we definitely, um, I don't know how other people, I know how some other people script and then some do it this way and some don't, but, um, we definitely do an interior exterior cut twos, things like that, that hopefully give Scott a little bit of direction, but Scott's also very capable of directing on his own. So we don't, I don't think we do, do we do too much hand holding? I don't think we do a ton of hand holding, right? What do you think? Oh. Tell us now. Tell, here we go. I'm ready. <laughs> no, everything is everything was there. I mean, the the most important thing as an artist that you're doing is you're trying to set like this world that's in your imagination out in a way that people can have it be their imagination from now on. Like, um, like especially when I was like doing the characters, like the kids. Like I sat down and like Ruthie, like was very like. Um, she seemed to be like a little bit of a wildcat and like, I've been really enjoying drawing her overreact to everything. Yes. So like when there's something that happens, like, sh- like there's a, there's a normal reaction, which is kind of what David does. There's a, a, a sort of sarcastic reaction, which is kind of what Noah does. And then Ruthie just overreacts to the whole thing where mm-hmm. she's just like, what the fuck is even going on? You know, like, and, uh, it's just so much fun to have those three aspects of like humanity, like represented, especially when you're presented with like characters that have, yeah, balls on their chin or like monster teeth or, you know, their one character looks kind of like a lamprey, you know, like, like others, like, uh, like I would do little subtle things like, um, I'd put little teeth where nipples would be like little things like that. Like, uh, we're just a, a, a blast to do because you're kind of directing it. You're, you're like, you're presenting things and, and giving everybody like a ton of things to look at. There's a primacy of, of images where you'll look at something and then I want them to see the other things that are in there. So you'll see the monster, but then I want you to take a real good look at that monster, like over the next like minute, you know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, there's lots of jump cuts. There's lots of little, um, establishing sort of shots, like things for you to pour over and look at, um, and to go back and around in the artwork. So, but, but keeping in mind that the whole story has to keep going. Like you can't just stop everything like a screeching halt. 
you have to make sure that everything like is paced well. So it's stuff like that, that I really, that that's the stuff that turns me on. So like if they can, if they say, Hey, go for it. I'll go for it. You know we always I mean? say so, go for it. I mean, that's the thing. And, and, and one thing that you were saying, Scott, which is, you know, <clears throat> we'll come in with the way the characters are, how they talk, et cetera. Obviously Scott, sees that and he goes, oh, I'm going to make sure David always reacts this way. Noah always reacts this way. Ruthie always reacts this way. Then we see it and then we go, oh, now we're going to write them like this. You oh, know? So, so it inspires the writing too. So very collaborative. Like it is like, like I'm always going back or Brian and I are always going back while we're writing and pulling up the prior issue and looking and going, okay, we need to make sure we write this panel. It needs to look it needs to be referential to this panel from this page. Cause we're really referencing this thing. So we're, we're not like just flippantly being like, okay, this, 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 then, then this happens. Cool. Scott, figure it out. You know, like we're, we're trying to connect it all. So, you know, Scott, I want Scott to know we're paying attention. Scott, we're paying attention. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to, I was going to ask you guys pretty well answered it just about like Ruthie and Noah and David are, they really pop off the page and we care about them right away. So important though. I mean, I don't want to read anything that I don't care about the kids. You know, the movies that I like the least have the characters that I'm the least invested in the movies that I like the most or the, you know, where I invested the most in the, in those characters and anything I write, it's so important to me. And especially with horror because horror can, you, you lean into just stereotypes and then you have Friday the 13 part four, which is a great movie, but those characters, you don't care. Well, it also is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I think like when, when, when Brian and I were, were even just developing David and we were talking about just the first page of that book and, you know, he lives with his horrible stepdad that he just kind of, you know, we don't talk about the backstory, but I mean, his, his mother passed away and he lives with this terrible, the only person he has left in his life is this horrible racist stepdad who punches him in the face. The first thing, like when he wakes up in the morning and you're like, how can you not feel bad for that kid? And we wanted to amp that kid up to have that kid come from the worst place to where, Hey, hell's not that bad. (laughs) I get, I get punched to wake up. So uh, things aren't that bad. So whatever, yeah, whatever you got. Yeah. Could be worse because it is. Yeah. yeah. What was your reaction to seeing Scott's design of the axe itself? He did a bunch of different designs. We had it. We we had a part in it. You know, everything that we've asked for, we we've known what we want. You know, it's it's not like we go, hey, I don't know. You know, <laughs> we we've uh, we were like, it's got teeth. It's the Necronomicon as a guitar, and it's lived forever. And you don't know how it's lived forever, but it's 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 its own thing. And he immediately got that, and you know, sent. But the first thing we saw, we did we look at like maybe four different versions of the body. The guitar, I know, a bunch of different versions. Yeah, yeah. There's always going to be kind yeah. of a strat body. Cause we all Joe and I both know guitars him more than me. And, but uh, we knew what we wanted. Yeah. We we're looking at like, ja- like, like Jackson, like Jackson style, like, you know, like strap style body with that Jackson kind of headstock basically. Yeah. I was always thinking something George Lynch would play that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that guitar. Yeah. That was yes, all bones. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, I have to like feel, I mean, it's a metal guitar in a monster world 
that's going to be printed in heavy metal. It had to look fucking metal, you know, and it had to be based off of like what metal guitar players play, which are often Jackson's. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. But have that, oh, that awful fleshy look that the Necronomicon has and yeah. right bound in yeah. skin and everything. Yeah, it's so and Scott yeah. added like a bunch of like weird teeth to it. Oh yeah, it's Again, got like, teeth everywhere. Yeah. Speaking of like, and I don't want to speak for you, Scott, but it, like like you had said, you'll take something we give you and you'd be like, "What are other things I could do to this? Not just to bring yourself into it, but to make it like worse in the best way possible." And you put these horrible teeth on it and it's just i was like i have a couple i have my uh, my buddy keith buckley who played in who wasn't every time i die and play and is in the damn things with me he hates teeth he's disgusted by teeth and i thought about him immediately him getting going, oh, looking at this thing i was like oh, spot on is there any plans to bring the axe into the real world? Is like a limited edition one-off guitar I think or something? Already made one. Yeah, so I was gonna say I won't say no. There's something. <laughs> oh. There's there's uh something being made. I'll just say that. Oh wow. shit! Oh shit! That's amazing. All right, well, stay tuned for that. Oh my god. Well, that said, what else is in store for the world of the axe? Will there be other ways we can experience it besides seeing it in heavy metal? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're trying to develop it for a type of screen. I don't know how much it's, it's worth. To, I don't, I'll just say we, we are we are in the midst of that development right now. Yeah. We love it. We're going to see what happens. And then if that doesn't, you know, if a door shuts on and I have a cup, I think this could go a couple different ways. It could be animated. It could be live action. I mean, somebody has got to have some money to throw at it, but <laughs> yeah. there are versions of it. You know, if, if Netflix bought, bought it as a series and, you know, and, and you did six episodes of it and uh, threw a couple million dollars at each episode, it could be really fucking cool. Um, I, I can live on a different, uh, you know, a, lot, a couple places. And we've left it open-ended too. So like I had mentioned prior, I mean, if we never touch it again, it's a satisfying enough ending, but also it can go on. We can keep writing it. And, and again, there's space to also, if it does, for instance, become a series, it can be an ongoing series the way we've yeah. left it. So there, there's space to talk about more story. what the sequel is and, you know, or what other versions are. And, yeah. Are the stories going to be able to be put in one book at the end of the heavy metal run? Is that the idea yeah, as well? Yeah, we're going to do a collected version, yeah. Yeah, we do a collected version, yeah, and single trade as well. I wanted to know just about plans on bringing the music to life of Ruthie, Noah, and David's band. Is it called Mega Dave? I see the po- uh, like a banner behind him at one point, and, then, and that's about all I see in the first uh, issue. <laughs> if the there ever issue. is a... Uh, if there's ever like a series or a movie or something, we would have to do. We'd have to write the music for Megadeth, um, for sure. If there's anyone that really that this if this comic you know makes an impression on someone that runs an indie label and wants to be a Megadeth record, that's a conversation. That- <laughs> who would you who would you cast in Megadave mu- musician wise? Who who would be the the different members of the band? Would you, you think in bring Scott right Ian into the mix? He's in like he's in every mix. I don't know who else do you think, Brian? Well, I think we'd write it and then have these kids sing it. I don't know, uh, I, but we would write every part of it. I'm sure we'd write all of it and probably like 
talk to all of our uh heavy metal friends and get every single person involved like brian and like brian and i did with the with brian's last uh Posein record you know just get everybody like get gary holt to come in and play guitar solo just get everybody on there you know all right well as we wrap up here what else is coming down the pike from you brian you, you're touring around for what the rest of spring and some summer dates yeah, and stuff is i just recorded a special uh in uh chicago last month and i'm editing it right now and then we're going to take that out and see where it lands see what streaming network it shows up on but uh we pr- produced it with this company so instead of doing it for netflix i did it up for myself and then we're going to take it to them and everybody else and go hey, do you like it you know and see what happens and then i'm touring that and then doing a ton of stuff with joe uh scott and i have a book that we did with jerry duggan our partner from uh, deadpool that's coming out on 420 through image and it's a one-off and it's one of the again acts is crazy but it's another crazy thing it's basically we took uh cool. commando uh the schwarzenegger movie but had him fighting the drug wars it's called 420 uh, the secret uh wars of what's the full title secret it's the secret history of the war on weed so, yeah, yeah. He smokes he smokes less pot than I do so he can remember that time. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, you should check that out. It comes out on 420 cuz it uh, who could miss that, you know what I mean? Like so I've seen I've seen every single I think colored page. Yeah. I've shown you everything. Yeah. I've seen everything other than it other than it being lettered and it looks it's so fucking cool. I mean, it's it's 40 pages too, right? Isn't it like a 40 page? Yeah, it's a big book. But big again, book. it's yeah. got it's got nailing a time. We were just like, you know, it's mid-80s. It's those over-the-top action movies that Canon Films made. It, that's basically what it is. So the book is so good. Not the, like- government, the government deciding, let's get rid of pot, so let's send this guy up to Humboldt County and kill hippies. And then it doesn't. Oh my God, that's and amazing! Then it goes a different way, so, <laughs> dude. And then Scott, you got anything else besides that coming? I mean, that's keeping you pretty, busy, pretty I would busy. Yeah, like I'm wrapping up all the act stuff over the next like two months, and then uh, yeah, I don't know what's happening after that. We'll see. We pitched him <laughs> another book, so we'll see. Scott's wife will let him do our, our book that we want him to do. So. We have Joe and I have like a hundred ideas that we're sitting on too. So like we're just we're going to be working together for a long time. Yeah. How about what's in the, what's new in the world of fallout boy? Man? Uh, we're doing, so we did that hella mega tour with green day and Weezer, the U S run last year. And then this year we're doing it in Europe, assuming that it doesn't, that world war three doesn't break out. So if there's no world war three, we'll be doing that tour. It's about two weeks. We're doing rock and Rio. So I don't know who's playing that. I know Aerosmith played the last time we did it, so it'll be something fucking cool. And then My friends in a huge rock band. Did you know that? I'm a- <laughs> Joe's in a massive band. It's so funny. Just when he'll say things and I'll go, Oh yeah, I, I oh, played yeah. in front of two hundred people the other night. <laughs> he just I feel like it should two- be the other way around. I feel like it's he's got two hundred people working for him. <laughs> uh, i feel so guilty uh, but, uh, yeah so all of that massive stuff uh, and then yeah but i mean brian and i are working on multiple comics you know we're developing television and other things and 
I have, uh, I'll be announcing uh, a very cool written thing on my own soon, um, but I can't say what it is now. But and uh, that's that's about it. I mean, that's not nothing, right? I guess. Yeah, yeah that's all you need. <laughs> my God, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. All right, guys. Hey, thank you so much for yeah. hanging out with us. Thanks for making Thanks for this. Us. It's fucking fantastic, guys. By it's way, like a riot talking to you. I grew up with one of the founders. Well, I mean, basically grew up with one of the founders of Bloody Disgusting, Tom Owen. So. One of my yeah, oldest yes. friends, and I love him dearly. So I'm saying hello to him. I legitimately love Bloody Disgusting outside of Tom, uh, you know, being one of the founding members. But I also have a huge personal love for the for the biz. So uh, much love to you guys. Oh, thank you. On behalf of Tom and Brad. Yeah, thank Brad. you. Thank you. That means everything. All right, you guys. Thanks again for your time. Let's do this in person next time. Come out to the uh, crazy studio. Please have us again. For For sure. sure. Definitely. All right, guys. Congrats. Enjoy the rest of your day. Great meeting you all. All right. Later. That was the Boot Crew Podcast, episode 311. Special thanks to our guests, Brian Pesane, Joe Troman, and Scott Koblish. At time of release, find their new horror comic series, The Axe, in the pages of Heavy Metal Magazine. For now, the first part available in the current issue, 315, you can find chapter 2 in issue 316, out April 27th. Music for this episode from Fallout Boy and Brian Pesane. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, this is Trev for the Boot Crew saying, Sweet Screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.